So a couple of weeks ago, I had shared about Dita getting beat up in a village. I don't know if you guys remember that, but he was out doing ministry. They attacked him uh, because they just assumed he is a Fulani terrorist. Well, uh, praise God. I, I couldn't share this last week, but last week he went back to that village. And as a result of going back, uh, four of the individuals who beat him received Jesus Christ. And yeah, that's, uh, so that's just a wonderful thing. And then I also just heard from Timothy, they just finished up, and I, I wish I could put pictures up for this, I'll have to figure out how to do it, but they just finished up a little pastor's uh, training and conference that uh, CCOT supported, and uh, they sent the sweetest picture of all of these individuals holding uh, the Bible, a Bible translation uh, in uh, one of the tribal languages, and then they also got New Testaments in the Fulani language, which was very exciting. So neat things going on in the mission field. All right, with that said, we are in First uh, Kings chapter 18 tonight. So let's go ahead and pray and get into the Word of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this evening and we thank you for this time together. And uh, Lord, we're so grateful to be here, to be in your presence. And for those who are not here with us tonight, we just ask you to encourage their hearts and protect them until they can be with us again. And uh, Lord, now as we enter into your word, we pray for, your, for you to teach us. Uh, Holy Spirit, we want to be transformed. We want you to speak to our hearts and our minds. And Lord, we want to be able to apply this text for today for, uh, as we go out this week. So we ask for you to teach us, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> all right, so we're in 1 Kings chapter 18, and last week we, we really started diving into the life of Elijah uh, and it is such an exciting time uh, in Kings with the life of Elijah. But if you were to actually take yourself and put yourself in the situation and, and be there during this period of King Ahab, it would be an awful time to live. It's exciting for us to read about because Elijah is this awesome hero of God. He's this representative that speaks on behalf of God and performs powerful miracles but if you're one of God's people living this t- during this time, it is a terrible and awful time to live. So if you remember, when we introduced Ahab, the king, and that's back in verse 16, chapter 16, we, we read that, that Ahab, it became verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 31, and it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, that he took as his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. And so what we read about King Ahab, who is the ruling king, is that sin was a trivial thing to him. It was just not a big deal for him to walk in rebellion, to do the sins of Jeroboam, and even more so to start erecting uh, these, this worship of the god Baal. Now, Baal is one of the gods, of pagan gods, and he's a god of the heavens. He brings forth rain and, and uh, helps crops to grow and all those sorts of things, so that's going to make a difference. Now, Elijah's come on the scene. He's announced a drought, and then God had taken him away, and he had gone and uh, 
stayed with a widow actually in the northern Gentile country, and that's where we're picking up at chapter 18, verse 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now, and and there was a severe famine in Samaria. So I'm going to pause there for a moment and just talk about God's leading and direction. Last week we read in James how James 5.17 tells us that Elijah prayed earnestly for God to send a drought. So we know that Elijah, as the righteous man of God, had a, a, a great impact on bringing this drought to be. But we also see that Elijah's not doing anything without God speaking to him. First of all, when God told him to go hide himself away, he went and hid himself away. When God told him to go to the, to the, the house of a widow that God had prepared to receive him, he went. And now God is uh, bringing back to him the word, a word to, to go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. Now Ahab has been searching for Elijah. He wants to put him to death. And, but here Elijah goes to present himself. So the time is coming where God will close off this drought. And by the way, next week we're going to have an awesome message about the uh, prophets of Baal squaring off with Elijah um, so that'll be next week. We won't get there tonight. So as the severe famine c- continues, verse 3, it says, And Ahab call, had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water, And Ahab had said to Obadiah, go into the land to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another way by himself. So Ahab comes up with a plan to go look for some place where it's not dust That's how severe this famine, this this drought has become in the land that everything is dried up. So he sends Obadiah one way. But the cool part about this passage is not just that we, we see Ahab coming up with a plan to look for green grass for animals, but this man Obadiah is introduced. Obadiah is really an awesome individual. He's a God fearing man, and we're going to look at him right now. Now, this is more than likely not the Obadiah who wrote the, the, the prophecy of Obadiah to Edom. This is probably a different Obadiah. The word, the name Obadiah means worshiper of Yahweh. It's a good name, Obadiah, worshiper of Yahweh. Maybe you think about naming your kids that if you want. You can call them Obo for short, I don't know. But no, that doesn't work. Anyway. Uh, Obadiah means worshiper of Yahweh, and there are a few different Obadiahs throughout Scripture. Uh, the first Obadiah we see uh, was sent out by King Jehoshaphat of Judah to teach the law in the cities of Judah, and that's in Second Chronicles 17.7. There was an Obadiah who oversees, who helped repair the temple in the days of Josiah, 
king of Judah. That's in 2 Chronicles 34, 12. And there's an Obadiah who was a priest in the days of Nehemiah, which comes way, 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 way later. And that's uh, Nehemiah 10, 5. Uh, this more than likely is not the Obadiah the prophet, but he has this wonderful name that he's a worshiper of Yahweh. Now, the first thing we learn about Obadiah is that it, the text says that he feared the Lord greatly. I love that it doesn't just say he feared the Lord. He feared the Lord greatly. He revered God. And he was concerned with what, how God viewed things and not just in doing things for himself. As a result of his fear of God, we, we see that Obadiah does some many incredible things. We can see that Obadiah is uh, an honest man. He's uh, as far as caring for the people of God, and we'll even see here in this text that Obadiah is faithful with a message. Uh, he's obviously quite an industrious man because he's figuring out how to care for these hundred prophets and feeding these fifty prophets. He's kind of figuring out how to do this. He's been put in charge of the household of Ahab, so he's been put in a high position. And uh, he's a little bit ingenious in how he's caring for these people. Notice the problem here. It says in verse 4 that Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them. So Jezebel was going about murdering the prophets of God. Why is she going about murdering the prophets of God? Well, for her, Baal is God. And if they want to please Baal... They need to get rid of all these God fears. Now, th this is a tactic still used to this day. When you go into certain countries, uh, and, and you'll see, and I even saw this in Nepal. I've seen it in India, uh, where people worship idols or worship false gods. You definitely see it in the Muslim world, where they'll believe, they buy into this idea that their God has to be worshipped and appeased. And if there are Christians in the area who are evangelizing and teaching about another God, when things go bad, when there's a, a drought or famine or whatever the problem is, it must be those Christians' fault. So get rid of those Christians and then God, their gods or God will be appeased and happy and things will go better. And, and we've seen this all over the world. It's still happening today. People do crazy things to appease false gods. Everything from sacrificing children to wives to, to uh, killing others. It still happens today. They're still looking to, to, to do these things because the, these gods who they are trying to appease are no gods at all. And, and they, they unfortunately strive to appease false idols. Well, Jezebel here is massacring the prophets of the Lord, and so Obadiah takes it upon himself to hide these men in the cave. And I, I think this is really beautiful that Obadiah does this, that here he is, a man who's put himself in a place, he's been put, God's put him into a place of position, and God doesn't just all of a sudden, or he doesn't just say, well, I got to stay quiet, just keep my head down, do nothing. Rather, he uses his place of position to serve and honor the Lord, even risking himself to a certain degree. Uh, you can't help but think of uh, the story of the Tin Boom family uh, who hid the Jews during Nazi Germany 
or, or uh, you know, all these wonderful stories over the years of those who have put themselves at risk and leveraged their position, their place, their, their proceeds or profits. They've leveraged everything to rescue those who were being put to death or hurt or even uh, just marginalized or or uh, to, to do things. You know, of course, the Underground Railroad comes up and all those things. Uh, beautiful stories throughout history that we can see where people have, have been faithful to the Lord God, feared God, and gone against the grain. Well, uh, Obadiah here in the household, I want to take you over to a story in Matthew real fast. Matthew 25. Matthew 25, Jesus gives a story about being faithful. And I think it's important it's pertinent to Obadiah's life. Matthew 25, because this is where we apply it to ourselves. Matthew 25. And maybe, probably many of you are familiar with this parable, but it's worth considering. So Matthew 25, verse 14. Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is like. Pause there. The kingdom of heaven is like. So, Here, Jesus is giving us a story, a parable, and the the word parable literally means to throw alongside. It's a story that helps us understand a spiritual truth. And so, so when, um, because we don't all fully understand the kingdom of heaven, well, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, and it goes, a man traveling to a far country who's called his who, has, uh, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents, went and traded th- with them, and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two, gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So as Jesus starts to lay out the story, notice that the, the Lord, the master, this man delegates to his servants and he doesn't give them beyond their ability. He delegates to them within their ability. So he's not stretching them. He's not expecting greater things of them. He's not expecting them to do something that they, they, they're incapable or unprepared for. Rather, he's giving them these talents to invest. And so he goes on his journey. Obviously, the Lord, the master, expects his servants to do something while he's gone. He expects them to invest these talents. Okay, I've given this over to you. While I'm gone, invest these talents. Take care of it. This is well within your ability. I trust you with this. Go ahead and do it. So there's an expectation as he leaves and an expectation within their ability. Well, eventually, uh, we see that the, the one who received the five, ta- five talents went and traded with them, and he made another five talents. So he's doubled the investment during this time. And likewise, he would receive two, gained two more also. We see this, this doubling uh, product. But then we have this third servant who had received one. He went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So, so the third servant just said, 
I don't know what to do with this. Maybe it was I'm lazy. Maybe whatever the case was, he went and just dug it and hit it and put it away. Well, verse 20 says, so he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Well, that's a great response, right? He comes back with five more. And he says, Master, I took your five. I made five more. Here you go. And the reception to his faithfulness was well done, good and faithful servant. And because you were faithful with a few things, with this small investment, I'm going to put you in charge of great things, many things, because I can trust you. You're faithful. You're a good servant. So enter into the joy of your Lord. Well, the next servant, he sa- uh, then it says, verse 20, to he who also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Isn't that interesting that the reception for the five talents and the reception for the two talents is the very same? Well done. You've been faithful to the task that I gave to you while I was gone. I entrusted something important to you and you were faithful with that task. So well done, good and faithful servant. And now I'm going to entrust you with more things. Verse 24, then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. So let's just, before we get to the Lord's response, let's just look at this third servant's response to God, to to the master, sorry, not to God, to the master. Obviously, the master represents the Lord. But, But look at his response. The first thing he does is come up with an excuse, and the excuse that he comes up with is based upon the character of his master. By the way, guys, if you have a job, this is a terrible way to gain favor with your boss, okay? Don't start just uh, (laughs) saying, I couldn't get my work done because you are like a a terrible boss. You know, you're like, you're always on me, like get your work done. I I just couldn't do it, you know? This is a terrible way. Look look at what he does. This servant says, uh, I knew you were a hard man. You're a difficult person. You expect a lot from me. Now, is, is, that, is that a true statement that he expects a lot from his servants? No, we already know that, that the text already told us that he gave each according to their own ability. Well, it doesn't really sound like a hard man. Actually, it sounds like a really gracious man. Uh, because this could be, you know, the, the apprentice version back in the day when Trump was just firing people, you know, the good old days. And... Um, <laughs> 
Sorry, I was just thinking, like, how great would it have been to hear you're fired in the second term? Of, anyway, uh, so, but, but when you looked at The Apprentice, and if you ever watched The Apprentice, man, man, Trump would, like, put up with no nonsense, right? He expected great things from these individuals to win this uh, game show, The Apprentice. But th- this master is actually pretty kind. He only expects them to do within their ability. Well, the second thing he says is, uh, you're reaping where you have not sown. Now, let's think about that for a minute. What's he saying there? Master, you're reaping where you did not sow. You're, you're harvesting. You're stealing. You're a thief. That's what he's tell, telling the, the master. You, you're harvesting on other people's lands, and you're, that or you're a mob boss, you know, whatever the case is. And so I know you're hard, I know you reap where you do not sow, and, and you've gathered, you're gathering where you've not scattered seed. You're trespassing on other people's lands. Wow, this is a terrible servant. So he said, I was afraid, yet you're, he's not afraid to tell his boss what he thinks of him. Right? He's not afraid to tell the master what he thinks of him. So I went and hid your talent. Look, there you go. Well, verse 26, but his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from it and give it to him who has 10 talents. And so basically the master says, oh, you knew all this. Okay, well then at least if you really knew all this and you really believed all this about me, you would have just at least invested it in the bank and got something back. Verse 29, for to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. You're like, wait a minute, that's not fair. That's not fair to everyone who has, more will be given. And from those who don't have, more will be taken or expected. Oh, it's absolutely fair because it's the master's judgment. It's his investment and his judgment. And he gets to do with his investment as he pleases. We have to understand that. The master gave the talent. And if the master feels that this servant is unprofitable, and unworthy of investing, he has every right to take that investment and move it over to someone else who he can trust. That's the way those things go. Have you ever noticed that the Bible is just not keen on socialism or communism? I don't know. Anyway, verse 30, and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ouch. Ouch. Different response. Versus being received, welcome into the joy of yourself, uh, the joy of the Lord. I will put you in charge of minis. This one is cast out. He put out into the outer darkness. He's fired. And um, all this is to say is Obadiah is a faithful man. Obadiah uses his position, going back to 1 Kings, Obadiah uses his position to walk in the fear of the Lord, to honor God, to hide those prophets. He figures out ways to feed those prophets. And, and he reckon, being in such an ungodly situation, Obadiah rises to the occasion to be faithful to God. And so we should all. 
this is one of those things where we need to look at this and go, God has entrusted to us his gospel. At the very least, he's entrusted to you his gospel. Are you going to be faithful with that gospel message? How will you invest that gospel message into others? More than that, we know that God has invested us giftings and talents to bring into the church to serve his body of believers and to use in this world. Are you ready to invest those things as you wait for your master to return? Because he's coming. And if you just watch the news Nowadays, you know he's coming. He's get, it's getting closer. We know the coming of the Lord is coming closer. And even if the Lord chooses to tarry, boy, I'm excited for those things that God is going to do. Now, it, it, the excuse of, well, everyone was wicked does not work for that because God's invested. And so just because everyone is wicked, Obadiah figures out a way to honor God even though there's wickedness. You know, 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this to, to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11, and we have the verse here. He says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Uh, go on to verse 10. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with covetousness or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Verse 11. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or reviler or drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. So Paul here is wrote to the Corinthians saying that they're not to keep company, but his intention of of saying don't keep company with these individuals, the sexually immoral, the covetousness, the idolaters or revilers or drunkards or extortioners, was, was those who call themselves brothers in the Lord. Those who say, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, but they're living in a lifestyle that absolutely says, you're not at all a Christian. Paul says, don't keep any, have nothing to do with them because they're fakes, they're frauds, they, there's nothing about it. But, but Paul wasn't saying to stay away from every unbeliever. If you go back to verse 10, there, or, yeah, verse 9, sorry, verse 9, Alma. Uh, go back to, uh, sorry, verse 10. <laughs> so oh, there we go. Uh, Paul says there that, that then you would need to go out of the world to really get away from people who do these things. You'd have to leave this world because the fact is this world is full of people in their base nature that are covetousness, extortioners, idolaters, sexually immoral people. That's, that's the world is full of that. That's who people are at their base level. They just feed the flesh. And, and we know that Paul says that coveting, man, that's what got him. It, it, as soon as he, he read in the law, thou shalt not covet, Paul said, I was undone because in my heart, that's, I was keeping the whole law except the coveting part. I couldn't, I couldn't resist that. And, and so Paul saying, I'm not saying don't, don't, uh, affiliate with those who do these things in the world, but those who say they're brothers have nothing to do with because they're fakes, they're frauds, they're imposters, and you need to treat them like an unbeliever. Obadiah is stuck in a world full of, of 
covetousness, extortioners, idolaters, obviously. They're worshiping Baal. He's stuck in the world of the sexually immoral. Uh, in fact, uh, Jezebel is compared later on in Revelation. She's used as an illustration for uh, completely uh, total immorality. But, uh, but Obadiah doesn't say, okay, I'm going to go hide in the cave. I'm going to go dodge. God has allowed Obadiah to be in a position where he can use his position to honor God. And, and he's been able to take care and save these other prophets from certain doom. Obadiah is a good man. All right, verse 7. So now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord, Elijah? And he answered, answered him, It is I. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. Now this is a little bit like a, a Sasquatch sighting, Okay. Uh, this is like Elijah has been the guy everyone's looking for for three and a half years. He's the guy causing all the problems in Israel. He's the guy who declared the drought. And so Obadiah is out there. What, what, what was Obadiah looking for? Do you remember? He was looking for grass. Gra- he was looking for a place that he could have animals feed on grass. Like just some place where there was an area where the animals could graze but instead, he comes up on Elijah. That's what I'm saying. I just imagine this like a Bigfoot sign. Like, whoa, you know. Um, Lucy recently was really big on Bigfoot. I don't know where she got this idea. But she's telling me like, Dad, I can't believe it. Kids at school are saying that Bigfoot doesn't exist. And I was like, it's my kid. My kid's the one. She's the one with the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot, you know. So, so she had her birthday and she got birthday money. I said, okay, Lucy, how do we want to spend your birthday money? And she's like, Dad, I need a night vision camera that I can capture Bigfoot. I'm like, I think you might be disappointed. As much as I'd love to have a trail cam, I think you may be disappointed, Lucy. She's like, no, Dad, Bigfoot's real. I'm like, honey, actually, she's like, Dad, I know Bigfoot's real. I'm like, okay. So we got on, on YouTube and I found a couple of videos of of people that had Bigfoot sightings, but somebody broke it down. By the way, there's a lot of people that believe, and maybe you're some of them. I don't know. We'll have to talk. <laughs> but there, there's a lot of people that, 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 uh, that, the way it always goes is that it's not a question of if Bigfoot was here. It's a question of when, you know. Anyway, so, <laughs> so uh, anyway, we watched some, through some, some little videos, and I was trying to explain to her, like, well, what is the truth? What are the true statements? And help her to use some critical thinking skills. But I totally felt like she said, so you're telling me there's a chance, Dad? I'm like, oh, boy. So, anyway, I'm like, stick with Jesus, honey. So, thankfully, I've got her off the idea of uh, trail cams. Anyway, so uh, as Obadiah is out there, it's like, boom, he sees this prophet, the prophet of God, Elijah, the guy that everybody's looking for. And Elijah just says, notice how Obadiah responds to Elijah. He, he just falls down on his face and says, is that you, my Lord, Elijah? Uh, and, and Elijah doesn't say, stay on your face, Obadiah. No, he says, it is I. Go tell your master Elijah is here. I mean, you see how Obadiah fears the Lord. Not only does he fear the Lord, but he fears God's messenger. He, wants, he honors God's messenger, treats him with respect, and, and Elijah says, go tell your master I am here. Now, obviously, Elijah doesn't know who Obadiah is. Verse 17, then it says, then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah. Oh, sorry, I'm skipping over a verse there. Let me go back to verse 9. Uh, verse 9, um, 
says, so he said, how have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you, that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here? He will kill me. I, I love Obadiah. He's just like, you're asking a whole lot for me just to go tell him. And I love that his fear is, not, not that he's going to blame Elijah. Elijah, you're not going to run, but I know what the Spirit of the Lord's going to do. He's going to move you on out. And I'm going to come back and be like, no, I swear Bigfoot was here. You know? <laughs> so uh, so he, he, he shares his fear with Elijah. And it says, verse 15, Then Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely uh, present myself to him today. So God, Elijah said, I, I'm going to do this. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Uh, then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have. And that you have forsaken the commandment of the Lord and have followed the Baals. I'm going to stop there for a minute. So Ahab shows up to meet with Elijah. And, and Ahab's response is, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And there's a little bit of, I know you are, but what am I? Sort of thing going on here. There, uh, and, and I love how Elijah says, I'm not the troubler. Now, the, in the Hebrew... This, I, I, I kind of wrestled with this whole statement here, uh, partly because my Hebrew just isn't great. But uh, using all the resources that I have at my disposal, what I found is that in the Hebrew, it, it actually would be better translated, is that you, O Israel's hex? That's kind of what he's saying. You're the hex of Israel. You're using this black magic on all of Israel. And so our English translations just say, troubler of Israel. And, and certainly that is the case that to Ahab's perspective is Elijah is the problem. Now we know that's not true. Elijah is actually not at all the problem. Elijah is God's solution to the problem. The problem is the wickedness of Israel. But what we're seeing here is a breakdown. We're seeing two different competing theologies start to come forth. We have the theology of Ahab that is stating, oh man, if we get rid of Elijah and all the prophets of God and we just wipe out God from Israel, then Baal will send rain. And Obviously, Elijah knows that their wickedness will never produce rain. Unlike Ahab, Elijah actually knows and understands the word of God. Deuteronomy eleven sixteen through 17, God tells Israel before they're come, as they're coming out of the promised land, Deuteronomy eleven sixteen seventeen 17 says, 
uh, take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain and the land you'll no produce and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. There, so right there, God tells Israel that, listen, if you start chasing after other gods, you're going to kindle God's anger against you. You're going to get God more and more angry with you. And he's going to not, we're good, honey. Not yet. We're not done. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure at all what's going on, but just keep walking that way. <laughs> Bigfoot, right? You, no, just, just hang out. Yeah, all right. You're good. It's the first time I've ever kicked my kid out of church. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, so, I... I <laughs> yeah, so God being angry with them if they worship foreign gods. Well, then again, in Deuteronomy 28, 23, Deuteronomy 28, 23 and 24 says this. It says, says, okay, I'm just going to read it to you. There it is. Thanks, Alma. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. And you should, wait. Hold on. Deuteronomy 28.23, not 28.28. So this is what Deuteronomy 28.23 says. And your heavens which are over your head shall be bronze, and the earth which is under you shall be iron. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From the heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. Basically, God, again, telling Israel if they forsake him, if they start worshiping other gods, he's going to take away the provision from them. And rather than rain, they get dust. More than that, it wasn't too long ago when King Solomon dedicated the temple of God. And when he was praying to God in 1 Kings 8, 35 and 36... This is what he asked God. And by the way, God answered this. 1 Kings 8, 35 and 36 says, When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, verse 36, uh, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land which you have given to your people and inheritance. So there's only one way out of this problem of the drought and it's not to kill God's people but it's to rescue, to repent and turn away from their sin. Turn back toward God. Listen, I want to say this. America is absolutely in trouble. You and I know that, that the wickedness of America is only increasing. And dear Christians, I want to ask that while there is still time, that you don't go hide away your master's talent. That, that you take that talent and you invest in your neighborhood, in the people you come in contact with, that you start proclaiming the gospel. We know that as the end grows nearer, people's hearts will 
turn away, grow colder. We know that the love of most will grow cold, the scriptures say. We know that people won't put up with truth, but only with what their, their itching ears want to hear. We know that in the end days that people will become lovers of self. Uh, they won't love good or embrace good and truth. We know that these are all things that will happen as we grow closer. But certainly, I want that to be something that God does, not because I've been hiding away a talent. I, I want to make sure that I'm faithful, that when God returns, that he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Now I will put you in charge of many because we've been faithful. And, and really, if we want to see God uh, prosper America again, it's going to start with repentance and it almost seems like an impossible, impossible task. It really does. It, it, I mean, it just seems like what happened in the last 20 years since 9-11 when people flocked to churches and now they're running from them. Those are, those are the, 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 uh, what we see today. But, but I want to encourage you, be a faithful steward of God's gospel. Get out there. Be a faithful steward of the love that he's invested in you. And, and help people learn how to repent and turn to God that they might prosper again. Well, uh, Ahab calls Elijah the troubler of Israel. Elijah calls Ahab the true troubler of Israel. But Elijah says, okay, uh, verse 18, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the bells. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Verse 20, so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel, gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel, and Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, Not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bowls and let them choose one bowl for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers, fire, uh, answers by fire, he is God. That's as far as we're going to read tonight. But I want you to realize is because there's two competing theologies here. There's the theology of Baal, that, that Baal is God, and that Baal has the power to send rain and provide for the land. And then there's the theology that the Lord God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, he is God, and he is the only one who has the power and the authority to send rain. So because of that, you can see that Israel itself is completely bewitched by this. As Elijah speaks, Israel is silent. They say not a word, it says in verse uh, 21. It says, but the people answered him, not a word. They're misled. They're bewitched by their, this evil uh, uh, theology that's taken over. And it has to come down to what, who is the true God. Notice that it says in verse 21 that there's 
two opinions, and, and I, I think opinions is probably a poor translation. There, there's two truths being promoted. One is false and one is true. And it has to come down to this. And this is the last thing I want to say tonight as we close. There is a big difference between good theology and bad theology. Good theology must be able to be applied to the practical. Good theology you can take and actually apply it into your everyday life, and and it works. Good theology, when we worship the living God and we worship him in truth and spirit, we actually can take that truth and apply it in our lives in a way that matters and changes. Bad theology, it stays locked up in an inaccessible upper room of the mind. That's what philosophers call it, an inaccessible upper room. But basically what it is is it's a compartmentalized place where you think this is true, you're even willing to say it's true, but in reality you cannot apply it. And there's a lot of religions out there that, that think these things are true, but in reality they can't apply it. Like, for instance, in Buddhism that everything is, uh, is a myth, basically an illusion, Right? Well, if that's true, go run across the freeway. It doesn't work. It's an inaccessible upper room of that mind. Good theology can actually be applied into life. I pray that you have good theology, not that just that you worship God, but that you're not just chasing after theological truths or principles that never have a way of touching the hearts and the lives around you. You want to have good theology. Next week, we'll pick up with the prophets of Baal. But before we close tonight, I want to go into a time of communion. We have the cups there in the pews. Now, some of the newer cups are kind of hard to open. So um, if you need help, ask a friend. And then maybe if we touch each other's communion, we can just go back to the old way. Right? Um, but let's consider what we're doing for a moment. Let's pray, huh? Lord, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you that this time at your table is just that. It's remembering how much you love us and care for us. God, that you died for us on that cross, taking our sin, our, our judgment upon yourself, doing what we were incapable of doing. Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you that you rose from the dead, conquering death, giving us victory and promise of life eternal. Jesus, to you be the glory. Right now, I want to challenge you, if you've got sin in your life, if you've been walking in sin, you confess it right now to the Lord. This is where we practice good theology. We don't just say we believe God, but we truly believe him to be God and the judge of all the earth. Lord Jesus, we thank you that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us of all unrighteousness. If you've been harboring bitterness, refusing to forgive, you confess that now to the Lord. On the night of his betrayal, our Lord Jesus took the bread. After breaking it, he gave thanks and said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. In the same manner, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which has been shed for you. Take and drink.
for as often as you do this, you remember both our Lord's death and his second coming. Maranatha. Maranatha. It's Christian for the Lord come. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this night together. And Lord, we do cry, Maranatha. We wait for your kingdom come. But until that day, Lord, let us be faithful stewards of your investment. We thank you, dear God, for your love for us. We thank you that you've done the work. And we thank you for this new life we have in you as we walk with you in fellowship. Lord, bless each and every one tonight. We thank you. Let us be like Obadiahs, willing to stand up even when evil's all around. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one. Amen.